On a Tuesday, it's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, and now on 106.3 FM, we welcome you to the program here today as we'll talk sports with you for the next couple of hours. On the BMW of Des Moines guest list, uh, Scott Miller from Bleacher Report. He's uh, Bleacher Report's main Major League Baseball columnist, uh, right at the top of the heap. He's uh, uh, covered baseball for decades, and we will have him in about 25 minutes. Hope to, uh, we had him scheduled last week, but it hit the fan uh, with the Astros, and he had to postpone. So we will, better late than never, right, get Scott Miller in here at 1025. We'll go around spring training with a heavy focus on what's going on uh, with the American League champ, Houston Astros. Shelby Mast is here. It's Tuesday. Shelby Mast, bracket, wag.com. We'll get the very latest on his brackets. Uh, Shelby will join us at 1045. We'll take a look at the uh, Big Ten, the Hawks in particular. What has happened to them uh, since we last spoke with Shelby? Last time we had him, he's they had a, I think they were on the five line, slipped to a six with Shelby. I didn't check this morning. I haven't seen if there's been any update, but certainly will by 1045. And then Zubin Mahente in his regular spot on a Tuesday will go around the world of sports with Zubin. Uh, covering everything from the AFL to the Daytona 500 to basketball to the Elam ending. Who knows what'll come up? But I do want to one thing. Can't get the, you can't sneak one by Zubin. He is ready to go. And we do not prep him. We do not no. give him questions beforehand, nope. topics beforehand. We just let it fly and he is ready to go. What a great guest and a great guy on top of it. No, in both cases. Maybe a better guy than, well, he's a really good guest too. But yeah, we're fortunate to have him, Trent. And, uh, look at, here's a guy who spent a decade or so in, uh, in Des Moines working in central Iowa on WOI for John Walters and Ray Cole at the time. And, uh, he appreciated his time here and is, um, willing to, you know, con- continue to show up on Des Moines Airwaves. So that's the guest list today. We'll get into Iowa State, Kansas. Uh, from last night, Kansas is, look, we'll know this weekend, right, just uh, who's at the top of the pecking order. I believe it's Kansas, but Baylor, they've got, you said before the show, uh, when we were we were kicking around some stuff, Baylor's got a chance to set a Big 12 record tonight? They do. With a victory tonight, they go to Norman to take on the Sooners. If they win Tough that, spot. it'll be their 23rd consecutive victory. That would break the record that huh. Kansas had, most consecutive wins over the course I of a, ca- of a season. 22 straight, 96-97 is when the Jayhawks did that one. So, talk about college basketball and it's down and everything else, but Baylor has a chance to do something Mm -hmm. that Kansas has never even done, win 23 straight during the course of a year. Yeah, Kansas was rocking last night, Trent, no Mm -hmm. doubt about it. You know what? Give Iowa State credit. The beginning of the game, they're playing that game tough, and they're making shots, they're making their threes. There were 9 of 11. Here's the crazy part, right? They were 9 of 11. There's three and a half minutes or so left in the first half. Um, they They didn't shoot or make another three from that point on. But, Trent, so they're shooting... Going into the locker room, they're shooting 82% from three. They were down double digits. Down 
10 at the Down break, 10. and that was the scary thing. But then even at the beginning of the second they half, came out, I they agree. came out, they had some yep. fight, they were throwing shots at the very least to Kansas. And then just at the second media timeout from, mm-hmm. the, from the time they came back on the floor... Got away from them. The wheels yeah. fell off in yeah. a big, big way. They were Iowa State was stuck on fifty five for the longest time, and by that point, Kansas was rolling. They're hitting everything, and you know the crazy one of the crazy parts about this game last night. Did you even notice Isaiah Moss on the floor? I did, just because I keep an eye on him because he's right. Isaiah Moss. But he's he's Isaiah Moss. He's the exact same guy he was for three years in Iowa. One game you tune in, you think, wow. He's really something. Yes. And the Boy, one, the Hawks could really use yeah. him. And the one shot that he hit yep. is beautiful. So yep. pull up, 18-footer. Right. Now he loves those. Eight minutes or so. That, I think that that basket might have started the big run. I think you're right. I yeah. think it did. Yeah, as I think back upon it, it was beautiful. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a perfect swish. Form is immaculate. But then you watch him actually play the other course of the game, and he's, yeah. he's a terrible defender. Right. He's not a good ball handler. He's not a good passer. He is... He's Isaiah Moss. It's the exact same guy. Now, because of Iowa's depth problems, yeah, it'd be nice to have him uh-huh. around. Who's a better basketball player, him or C.J. Frederick? Oh, Frederick. It's not well, I want Frederick every single time. Yes. A healthy, obviously, right, C.J. Right. Frederick, but that gap's significant. Uh-huh. Do you think that played into the decision at all by Isaiah Moss? Knowing you know, that during he, the redshirt yeah, year, he practiced against Frederick's him. on campus, right? And he knows, and Fran's got an idea what he's getting. Yeah, interesting take. Interesting. At, at the very certainly least, certainly wouldn't rule it out because I, there's a lot of components to the transfer for Isaiah Moss. He wanted to move on. Mm-hmm. He wanted to try something different. He also thought he was going to go to a place so that he could win a national championship. Well, so absolutely, that's the he's case. Landed in the right with spot. Kansas, they're very much in the hunt. You buy that? I don't think that would have been the case at Arkansas, where he originally committed. No, 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 no. For his grad transfer year, but this is a guy that had his minutes toyed with all the time. Though uh-huh. he was a starter. During the course of his three years, there were games where... Trent, he had its moments at Iowa. Oh, he did. Absolutely yeah. did. The Minnesota game where he went off. Didn't he go off in the Penn State game? Too? Yes, there, there was another good one. But there were other games. He went out there, start the second half, you make a defensive lapse, uh-huh. you wouldn't see him again. Right. Not 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 see him again, he only played five. He, he would not see the floor the remaining 18 minutes. So you can understand frustration there, too, and, and moving on. But I do think, at the very least, there's a small part of it that has to do... Boy, the C.J. Frederick guy's pretty good. Fran seems to like him, and boy, I was playing 24 minutes a game. Maybe it's 18 minutes a game this year. That's a fair point. Well, Moss last night was 1-7, of seven, and you're right. He still, he still struggles on the defensive end of the floor. But here's a Kansas team that made 12 threes. Isaiah Moss was brought there to, to make those threes. Didn't make a single one. Didn't make a single one last night. So, anyways. Um, you know, from, from Iowa State's perspective, I thought maybe Nixon had his best game of the year. I agree with you. Yes. And the, so, the two seniors, I mean, Jacobson against Texas, best game of the year. Mm-hmm. Now, now we see Nixon again. The, the Sands going out of their uh, eligibility hourglass, and we see this a lot. Nixon got it going last night. I thought Jacobson was okay last night. Yeah, he night. played pretty well. Yeah, 13-8 and eight for him last night. Solomon Young struggled to make, make his shots, but the, look at this is a really good Kansas basketball team. I'll tell you who had a couple of wow moments. Was uh, was George Condit? Yes, his dunk in the first half was just a gorilla, just a monster dunk. And this one in the second half where he went where through a he defender. was fouled. Yes. yes, that was another monster one. There, he he played had those spurts. Mm-hmm. Trey Jackson had a couple of moments in the game out there with his he beautiful did, face yes. mask. 
Yeah. I love guys with the face mask. I don't know what it is. You know, he's, he was okay. He yeah. was okay last night. Uh, but they were just overmatched. Just overmatched. And here's the thing. I don't think... When we talked yesterday about what's realistically out there for Iowa State, what's the goal? Well, you want to avoid Wednesday night, mm-hmm. right? And nobody thought that, that the Kansas result factored into that ability to avoid Wednesday night. You beat the teams at the bottom of the uh, Big 12 uh, that are still on their schedule, and they're still on your schedule. I mean, you've got Oklahoma State, TCU, and K-State still on the schedule. So that's still out there to avoid that. Get that six seed, if at all possible. Uh, a better team beat you last night. Take, take your medicine. One other aspect of the game that just and, – and, you know, whenever Holly Rose back at – Back in Lawrence, mm-hmm. they come up with these not cute ideas, unique maybe. Sure. So she held up Azubuke's show shoe rather at one point. Mm-hmm. Trent, <laughs> I guess maybe I've never seen size nineteen <laughs> shoes before, uh, and knowing that Shaq wore a twenty two, tr- that thing was like a snowshoe for crying right. out loud. It's like a ski in some respects. My God, some of that dude's feet are that big. I thought that was a really cool feature that she did last night. Holly Rowe is a national treasure. She's a Absolutely sports is. treasure. Without a doubt. When she's on the sideline for a game, doesn't matter football or basketball, you know you're going to get something mm-hmm. good. Not only is she going to do her job she's prepared. incredibly well, as yep. good as you're going to and find. And you know what else? Respected. Yeah, that's a good one. And But then she has personality, too, because mm-hmm. there's plenty of people... That can do the job. That can get the report. An injury happens, whatever well, it is. To, let's be honest. I mean, last night needed a personality in that right. game, right? But then she adds that element to it that she just, she's awesome. She mm-hmm. really is. She is one of my all-time favorites just in that role, which is a difficult job. Yeah. It's not an easy job. Doing play-by-play, okay. Doing color, sure. Mm-hmm. But that job, thankless in many respects. Mm-hmm. and. You know, I'd like to see, you know, NBA and uh, college basketball do that, does that crossover. They do, yes. I would like to see her get Popovich. Ooh. And I would like to see how that goes. Mm. It might might be too ugly for you. Make make you feel know. a little uncomfortable. I, if there's somebody that could get something out. Doris Burke's really good. Yeah. And, and, and she rips the I mean, this, this is a unique dude. Yes, he is. That, this is a unique guy, the Popovich. She, she may have met her, maybe all of them have. Well, you're right. That would be interesting to see. So let's do Daytona 500 because I, uh, so I watched Hawk in the afternoon as I said I was going to. What'd you watch? Flames? I watched the Flames. Yeah, that was a winner for me. Uh, did you have the Flames? You yeah. put the Flames. Good afternoon. Actually, you got a fire, right? You bet hockey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't bet it well, right? But I bet it. So, Ducks Flames moved your needle yesterday. I, I was looking for something. Well, three o'clock bet. You were do down it. 3 1 in the third period, yeah. by the way. Um, so, I was watching that because the Jets are fighting with them for a while. Okay. Right? Anyways, that's why, uh, that's why I was on that one. So, after the game was over, I got to, I got to the Daytona 500. I'm not, we're not NASCAR guys. No. Right? Uh, but if you're going to watch part of a race, it's going to be the Daytona 500. I think the, probably the country feels that way. If you're a. If you're not a horse racing fan, it's a pretty good chance you're going to watch one race a year that's going to be the one that takes yes. place the first Saturday in May. Very good point, yes. Right? Same kind of deal for me with uh, with Daytona yesterday. Trent, here, here's my biggest takeaway on, on this whole thing. And I don't claim to know this firsthand, but I've seen a lot of tweets on it, and I, and I have to believe that they're accurate. Dale Earnhardt's death in 2001 probably saved Ryan Newman's life yesterday. I think it's absolutely Because fair. of the safety... Mm-hmm. Uh, the the way that they've taken it to a new level, 
Do you remember? I should have looked this up. There, there's the device that keeps your neck solid. The Hans device. The Hans device. Yes, I remember. I was working with Dyer at the time, 2001, on the jock, and that was obviously a big talker. The Daytona mm-hmm. 500, and you know, uh, you know, the, one of the names in the in, in the sport uh, losing his life. But the Hans device, it was a big talker. It was yes. a huge talker. The Daytona 500. So my point being, it started there, but clearly didn't end there as. He took a shot, I don't know whose car it was, square in the driver's side while he's upside down. He was just at 200 miles an hour. And this guy walked, didn't walk away, but he's in stable condition with non-life-threatening injuries. How? Not not to be morbid, but I mean, going back to what you mentioned with Dale Earnhardt and his passing, the crash didn't seem that significant at the time. It didn't. I mean, in comparison to some of the crashes that you see. But I thought Newman kind of hit the wall in, in the same in the fashion. Same, and yes, that's the exact the same thought. angle. As soon as I saw it, that was the exact same thought that I had. That was the same trajectory. It was the same speed. It was all those things. And that doesn't even get to what you talked about when he gets hit again. And he's toppling over and going time and time again. And then the flames, and you can see the fuel, at least I'm assuming it's fuel as they zoom in. Some kind of liquid. Yeah, just pouring out of that car. Uh, he's a, can you imagine? I mean, you're 100 yards away from winning the Daytona 500. You're in front. I cannot. With 100 yards to go. And then suddenly, I mean, what happens? Right. Right? I mean, does, I, I'm assuming he was knocked out, I, I guess. I don't know. But you don't know, right? We, I'm sure we'll find out at some point, um, you know, if he was unconscious through the whole thing. He crossed the finish line upside down and finished fourth. Finished fourth? I, finished I didn't fourth. even realize that piece of it. Now, that was that was part of the broadcast here. Here's where I knew it was really bad. And I, and I know Jeff Gordon's one guy, but I think the other guy's name is Mike Joy. Am I right? You know, the, the guy that does the, sure. the play-by-play. When they wrapped up the broadcast, they came back to the, those two in the booth, and it was somber. I thought Jeff Gordon was going to maybe break down. Well, you, yeah, I understand. At that point, it, you right? don't know. You don't know, and you, you, they'd seen the replay, and they'd seen the car flying through the air. They saw the car from behind him, you know, hitting him square in the in the driver's side, and the flames, and finishing the race, uh, 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 you know, on your roof. Um, and then right away afterwards, right, it was the, um, did they celebrate too soon? Oh, yeah. You know, should they should they have shown more compassion? Mm-hmm. <sighs> With a crash like that, they, probably. I don't think, but I don't know if they knew. Right. Yeah. How do you know? I mean, you're in front of this is going on behind them. Mm-hmm. They, I, I did hear the in-car audio. But I'm not going to sit here and try and Monday morning quarterback that. I mean, what's going through his head? I don't know what's going through Joe Gibbs' head or anybody's at that point. Crazy circumstances. Absolutely crazy. I didn't even realize the fourth place. So I didn't see it. I didn't see it live and started to see a few things. In fact, I was out to dinner. We had our Valentine's night last night as we finally got a babysitter on Monday. Did you buy flowers too? They would have been cheaper. Well, no, because I got those on Friday. You did. So uh, we were good to go there. But we were out to eat, and all of a sudden uh, we saddle up and have a drink at the bar before we head out. And the uh, my wife is on Facebook and says, boy, there was a big crash at Daytona. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Big crash. And I get on Twitter, big crash, see people talking about it, but mm-hmm. you don't envision that. No. He's hundred yards from home. Big crash, final lap, and there were, and the crazy part of it was there was there was one in the back of the pack on the final lap. 
yet you watch it then, at least for me, and I was blown away. Mm. That's not it's not what I was envisioning at all. That was historic level. At least now I don't have the same certainly body of, of what great crashes there have been and significant crashes there have been in NASCAR and other racing events, but it's as bad as I remember. Well, they seeing. kept the, the the phrase they kept using. They were waiting for the big one, the big one, the big one's coming. There's mm-hmm. going to be the big one. Denny Hamlin wins the race, and he's really an afterthought. Oh, in, no in doubt, a, in a yeah. lot of ways, right? I mean, um, again, I, I can't I can't sit here on Monday morning quarterback what was going through his mind when he crossed the finish line. It's the biggest race on their on their schedule. I don't think that I I, I should I'll put it this way. I think that this is probably a pretty tight knit group. NASCAR drivers. Now, we've seen them fight after a while, after races and stuff and throw helmets. I get that part, but this is a whole different level. Um, I, 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 I just won't go down that road. I, I have no idea what was going through Denny Hamlin's mind, through Joe Gibbs. I did hear, you know, after the, after it sunk in, just to the extent that the, uh, that the crash behind them may have had and that Ryan Newman, nobody knew at the time how serious it was, dot, dot, dot. Um, but once that they were made aware of what how serious it was and what had happened, uh, they they were certainly uh, contrite and um, you know as upset as anybody would be. Uh, let's take Matt uh, before we're going to switch gears entirely and go to MLB baseball and the Astros uh, with Scott Miller from BleacherReport.com. Hi Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. Sure, what's on your mind? All right, so I was kind of commenting on the Daytona 500 crash. Um, at the time that Ryan Newman's car had come to a settle and rescue crews were going out there, at that point, Denny Hamlin, with the speed he was going, he was already a mile and already going down the back stretch. Well, so there you he go. Didn't have, he didn't have any idea as to the wreck. And even so, those cars are cocoons. Nobody really counts on somebody getting in, as injured as Newman was. Mm-hmm. So even when he came up to the front stretch and started doing donuts, nobody knew. Nobody knew that he was as bad off as it was. I mean, it kind of ties back to 2015. I mean, Austin Dillon flew through the air and caught the catch fence at 185, and he got out just fine. No kidding. What? Where was that at? That was at Daytona. That was, was it really? Zero four hundred. Yeah, he uh, got. It was three rows racing. They had a green, green white checkered. Uh, mm-hmm. He got loose, got turned into the pack, got. He boned on the side. Granted, he was on all fours, and it literally just sank. He, it, there, you got to look at the video for it. He takes off like a tomahawk missile and straight into the catch fence mm. on the front straightaway. Mm, mm, unbelievable. So one more thing, Matt. You sound like you um, you, you follow the sport, and I appreciate you coming on because Trent and I uh, we're we're really you know fringe when it comes to this. So the the overtime that they were talking about. Apparently, this is a new concept, right? Because haven't we seen races end in caution before anything? God, that's awful. It's kind of like a walk-off walk <laughs> in baseball. So tell me, but tell me about this overtime that uh, it was. Apparently, it's two laps. Is this relatively new when they finish or what? When they finish what would have been the normal five hundred under caution? So it, they instituted this rule a few years ago to prevent, you know, as you said, a race ending under caution just because it doesn't bring up the ratings. They're starting right. to use it all out to other sports, other types of racing like Formula One, you know, stuff that's exciting because NASCAR is kind of a niche. Nobody likes to watch cars go around in an oval for three hours. Especially if you uh, can't bet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, no, they instituted that. That way they can try their best. Uh, at the race ending under green to where drivers are actually racing good the end as opposed to just finishing behind a pace car good stuff so hey. kind of how the system that it works yep. it's i think within two flat two laps of the end if there's a caution that comes out 
they'll automatically set up for a green flag restart. It's basically just NASCAR overtime. I love and it. So when the flag flies after that, they get one go. It's two laps, essentially. You get one go around. If the leader takes the white flag, the next flag ends the race. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and that, that was something that needed to be changed because I remember, you know, just it just seemed like uh, it took all the drama out of it, right? They can't pass anybody. It's going to end under caution. That was a ridiculous way to do it. Matt, thank you for cluing in the two clueless hosts when it thank comes you, Matt. Uh, to NASCAR and Daytona. We appreciate your contribution. Thank you. Yep, no problem. Have a good one. Guys. Yeah, you do the same. Appreciate you listening. Uh, so, uh, look, at it, it all ended well, right, for yeah, the most part. Right. I mean, uh, Newman didn't get the win, um, but he's going to be uh, he's going to be okay from all reports that's what it sounds yeah absolutely we'll take a time out we're going to switch gears we will talk mlb uh with scott miller from uh, bleacher report he's one of their national columnists uh, do, do you believe um that the astros that major league baseball is going to have to step in here because trent one star i mean mike trout biggest star yeah. in the game right uh, and he's not alone um there is going to be a price to pay for these astros once they <laughs> Uh, William Hill actually put out a number. How many hit by pitches in the regular season? What did they have it at? Eighty three and a half, I think. Because I've seen it between eighty and a half and eighty three and a half. A couple of different books that are out there. Give me the over. Well, Manfred has already said they're not going to take kindly to those kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I wonder where this falls in the unwritten rules of mm. baseball. Uh, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We will talk with Scott Miller from Bleacher Report. Shelby Mass Bracketologist, BracketWag.com. He's coming up at 1045. He's Gannett's Bracketologist. He will join us. And then Zuba Mahenta, 1115. Trent and I take you until noon. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we're Miller and Condon, 10 to noon, Monday through Friday on Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO and now on 10... Illinois. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Sports Station, 1460 KXNO with you here until noon. Shelby Mask and that's Bracketologist coming up in about oh, 18 minutes or so. Let's get Scott Miller in here. Lead MLB writer, BleacherReport.com. Spring training is underway. Scott Miller, uh, gracious enough to carve out a few minutes for us here in Des Moines. Scott, thanks for coming on. Trent and Ken, how are you, Scott Miller? Hey, guys, how are you? Thank- hey, Ken, hey, uh... Uh, Trent. Good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on here, Scott. Let's get uh, right to the Astros. Got to be a circus down there with this team. I know that they would like, uh, you know, they would like the country to move on, Scott, and get past this. And they, you know, they've said our piece. Like they're going to focus on baseball. Will they be able to do that? I'm not so sure they will be. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the biggest challenge they've had. I mean, as we know, this game is a mental game, and and you know, you go through a simple old for ten slump. Uh, it can get inside your head, and the Astros, from from what you know, their rivals are saying about them. To every time they go on the road this year, it, they're going to be the most hated team in the game. They're going to get booed um, if they do go through an over ten slump. You know, there's going to be all kinds of talk about. It. Yeah, of course they are because they don't know what pitches are coming. Right. Um, so from that perspective, it's going to be really, really hard year for them. 
It has been uh, certainly from top to bottom, Major League Baseball players going after their own, going after the players involved in this from the Astros. I don't think it comes as a surprise that there's going to be people outspoken, but the sheer volume of it, that's been the thing. Eh, you, you expect it maybe in a certain way that they're going to protect their own. That has not been the case here from players outside of that organization. No, I mean, I've been covering this game close to 30 years. I've never seen anything like it in mm. terms of players uh, turning on other players. I mean, there is, a, there is outrage throughout the game uh, about that the Astros have crossed the line and that their players need to pay for it. I mean, you, you, we've seen, you know, pitchers saying that uh, they may think about uh, taking retribution into their own hands with beanballs. We've seen uh, Cody Bellinger with the Dodgers the other day saying that uh, Jose Altuve flat out stole the MVP award from Aaron Judge. We've seen on and on, even today. I mean, every day the hits just keep coming. I mean, at Atlanta's camp today, Nick Markakis uh, said that, that, you know, everybody, there's a level of anger in this game, and everybody on that Astros, you know, deserves a good beating. Yep. He didn't explain what he meant by beating, but. Uh, you know, here it is again. So, you know, one after another, the you know, the, the hits keep coming. Every day it seems to be something new. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, one of them even went so far as to say that Altuve stole a uh, an all-star bid from Whit Merrifield, for crying mm. out loud. And I, and I think that there's some validity to that. Here's, the, here's the, one of the things, Scott, that really struck me, and it was Justin Turner who brought it up yesterday, talking about Rob Manfred, uh, who seems to be really tone-deaf uh, to, to his sport, uh, talking about the, World, the Commissioner's Trophy of all. That's just a piece of metal. That did not sit well with Justin Turner, or I'm assuming any other player that's asked that boy that was that was a bad look on Manfred that was really bad and yes Justin Turner delivered probably it's going to be hard all the quotes that keep even today Mark Cake is saying the Astros every Astro deserves a beating it's going to be difficult for any player to top Turner for the quote of the year when Turner said you know the the, the only thing devaluing the the, the right. trophy is the commissioner's name on it um you know, Manfred, uh, when he said that, he spoke at a kind of a spring training media day in Florida on Sunday. Um, later today, he's doing a similar thing at the in, in Arizona, um, and I, I think he's going to – he should apologize for that comment. I think he's going to have to. I won't be surprised if he does issue an apology later today because you're right, that, that was utterly tone deaf and um, – you know, he was trying to be, you know, a bit of a smart aleck in his answer, and it didn't come off well. Now is not the time uh, for, for you know, trying to throw off quips or smart aleck answers or anything else. And, um, you know, we'll see. I'll be very interested. But I, I predict Manford will apologize later today. I don't have any inside info on that. I just think as a baseball guy myself, reading the, the atmosphere here in the game, uh, that was a huge, huge misstep on Manfred's part, and I just I think he has to apologize uh, soon, if not today. Uh, Bleacher Report's lead ma- uh, Major League Baseball writer Scott Miller is with us. Scott, we want to move around to some of the, quote, local teams in our area here in the Midwest, but just one more for me on the Astros. So Dusty Baker's been uh, been given the, uh, the reins here. Have they got the right guy? It seems to me like if anybody's going to be able to navigate this, it's a well-respected manager. It's a guy that's been in the game a long time, wasn't there for the, the shenanigans that went on. Your thoughts on Dusty Baker having to steer this Astros ship this season? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, he here's a guy that won 90, what, 95 and 96 games two years in a row recently with the Washington Nationals, let alone his success with the Giants and the you know Cubs to a degree uh, as manager, let alone all the years he's he's been in it as a player. And I think it's the right guy in terms of of um, uh, you know that they they need somebody that is going to be able to work in the clubhouse to keep the players together to keep their spirits up. Uh, you know, almost like a psychiatrist type of man, part manager, part psychiatrist or therapist, I should say, might be a better word. And uh, Dusty's real good at that. And I think that given the Astro situation, he's probably about as, as good of a pick as they could have made to be manager. Um, it's going to be a hard year on Dusty, too, because he's going to constantly, I see already this morning at Astro's camp, Marcakis uh, uttered that that today's phrase of the day that the Astros all deserve a beating. Um, <laughs> he issued that early enough in the day that Dusty's already responded from Astros camp. And, you know, it's a good humored response, according to the, the Astros writers that, that were there to record it, something along the lines of, you know, Marcakis doesn't say much. He's a quiet guy. He must have had his Wheaties today. That's <laughs> something is that what Dusty said. But, you know, the, the Astros are going to have to wear this all year, and uh, it's not going to be easy for them or their manager. Well, let's make that loop around here, the Midwest scene for us, and let's start with my team, our neighbors to the north, the Minnesota Twins. Big 100-win season a year ago. They add Josh Donaldson to that, their biggest ever free agent signing that they've had in terms of a volume of money that's coming his way. This Twins team, they're going to be able to hit it again this season, no doubt, but the pitching side remains the question. Your thoughts, what's the what's the upside for the Minnesota Twins this year? Yeah, I mean, they ought to win the division. I think you're right. They're, 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 I think the pitching questions are going to be more along the lines of, can these do? Can they have enough pitching to win in October? Finally, um, you know, I, they, they, you're right. They're going to score a ton. Donaldson needs to stay healthy. That's the one thing that's always a concern with him. He stayed on the field last year on that one year make good contract with Atlanta, but you know, year before he had, he had trouble staying on the field with Toronto. He, he seems that he has those uh, uh, chronic uh, calf injuries. Um, I think where the Twins are concerned, pitching wise, um, yeah, I'd like to. I hope Rich Hill can uh, make his comeback, and and you know he's an older, wise, old veteran, uh, been with the Dodgers last few years. You know, quality pitcher, quality human being. Um, you know, if he can round himself back into shape, and, and I'm sure he won't be ready opening day, but um, you know if he can round himself back in shape, he'll help. Kenta Maeda, I think, I'm not sure how he'll do in the American League. I think he'll be fine. He's tough to watch. He works really, really slow. So Twins games, uh, you know, yeah, the Mm -hmm. Twins fans are going to, you know, but it's the old story. If he wins and pitches well, they're going to be fine. He's got some stuff to prove because the Dodgers kept removing him from their rotation in October. He'd start for him, but then he couldn't crack the rotation in October. So, you know, you would think Maeda would show up in Minnesota, you know, figure I'm going to prove some things to some people. So I think that could help the Twins. Former Iowa Cub, Rich Hill. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. Hey, Scott, yeah. who's going to finish closer to postseason in Chicago, the Cubs or the White Sox? Ooh, I like that angle. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, 
you know, a lot of people are in that White Sox bandwagon, and, and I think I'm not sure that they're not ready to overtake the Twins, but they sure may uh, be gaining ground on the Indians, and, and I think the White Sox are nearing their window to win. Um, you know, I'm not sure. The Cubs, Cincinnati made some really nice moves. St. Louis is going to be difficult. You know, I'll go ahead. I'll take your bait. I'll say the White Sox <laughs> closer to the playoffs. <laughs> Good work, Scott. Hey, how about Milwaukee? A-, a team that feels like they're trying to kind of adjust on the fly, slashing payroll, but at least uh, stay relevant in the NL Central. What do you see out of the Brewers this year? Yeah, it's hard to say. I think they, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think the number is on the 26, well, 26-man roster now. Uh, right. A couple of rule changes. I think there are 14 members of that projected 26-man roster. 14 have did not um, play with the Brewers last year, so they're mixing and matching a whole lot of spaces. Then um, I think the Brewers are on a team are a team sliding south instead of trending north. Um, maybe they catch lightning in a bottle with uh, with all these changes, but. Uh, you know, Josh Hader is still a lethal, lethal yep. weapon, but he's thrown a lot of pitches the last couple of years. He wasn't quite as good last year as he was two years ago. Um, you know, I, I don't like his workload in terms of uh, a guy that's being able to stay, uh, uh, you know, stay sharp. Um, you know, they haven't had the pitching uh, the last couple of years that they've needed, and I, I fear for the Brewers that their window uh, – you know, their best shot to win was two years ago when they played the Dodgers in the NLCS and pushed them to Game 7. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I like the Reds and Cardinals ahead of the Brewers this year. Hmm. Well, last thing, Scott. You're very gracious with your time. We don't want to uh, take any more of it. The Cardinals, death taxes, and the Cardinals in the playoffs seems to be the mantra around here. 91 games last year. I like this team again. Uh, I'm with you. Cincinnati did, I think, got a lot better this year. But can the Cardinals repeat in the Central? I guess the answer is yes, but will they? Um, yeah, Cincinnati is kind of the trendy pick, but I, I do think the Cardinals, I think they can and will repeat. I, Jack Flaherty, I don't know if he's going to be as good as he was in the second half last year. He's really but good. I think he can, he was phenomenal. I think he can be. I think, um, this guy has, has the talent. He has the mental makeup, the competitiveness. He has the work ethic. I think he's going to be one of the great pitchers in our game in the next several years. And, and I think what we saw in the second half is a kind of a preview of coming attractions. And, um, you know, uh, him and, and, you know, the one thing with the Cardinals to watch, you know, Miles Nicholas, um, you know, he, he's, uh, he's not pitching right now in the spring that, that, you know, that's going to chip away at their rotation depth. He has, uh, you know, an injury carried over from last year. Didn't heal the arm injury didn't heal. Um, as quickly as they were hoping, so they're going to kind of slow uh, slow burn him along this spring, and, and he's going to get a uh, injection of uh, you know PRP, what's that platelet rich plasma right. blood injection, to try to expedite his healing. I was with the Cardinals the other day, and um, in fact, when when that came out, and um, you know that's but they have some other young guys too. I mean, Luke Weaver, Dakota Hudson, they've got some guys, uh, you know. That uh, Hudson, especially, um, you know that that um, you know we'll see, and we'll see if Adam Wainwright has anything left. Good stuff, Scott. Listen, we sure appreciate the three or four times a year during the season we get you. Uh, today being no different. Thank you, Scott Miller. Appreciate it. Okay.
Ken and Trent, my pleasure. Enjoy talking baseball with you guys. Good to talk to you. Scott Miller joining us. Bleacher Report, uh, MLB lead writer for BleacherReport.com. That rotation for the Cardinals, there's still <clears throat> pieces there. What do they do with Carlos Martinez? Do they try to make him a starter again this spring? Maybe with the Michaelis news, that changes mm-hmm. the course there. I know they signed a Korean uh, from they the did. Korean yes, League. Yes, they Kim did. Kim is his last name. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about him, obviously. Right. But I'm in the was... same direction. Reyes when was is... that? January, I think Something they signed like that. him? Yeah. Got Reyes. Uh-huh. We know an electric arm. Uh-huh. Hasn't been able to stay healthy as right. long as he's not punching walls. And uh, Ponce de Leon is still there, and mm-hmm. he's going through Andrew as Miller's starter. still there? I think so. Miller, but I'm talking about the, who's working to get that fifth spot and maybe another spot if Michaelis is not able to come back. We will take a timeout. We will uh, go from baseball to college hoops. Our bracketologist is with us this time every Tuesday. Shelby Mass, bracketwag.com, joins us next. Miller and Con until noon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, and now on 10. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Now on 106.3 FM, let's get Shelby Mastin here, BracketWag.com. Each and every Tuesday, right through Selection Sunday, uh, Shelby joins the program. Shelby, Trent, and Ken, thank you for coming on. Uh, we spoke a week ago. Since then, there's been no movement on the one line. I do notice that Maryland creeping up a little bit. They're, have, they're on a terrific roll right now. Uh, Maryland, you have them on the two line. Of course, Baylor and Kansas are going to play this week. Let's start there. What is Baylor, Kansas? What happens to the loser of that game? I assume they still stay on the one. Would I be correct? You would be correct. The only possible thing that could happen, and I don't see it happening, would be if Kansas wins, they might take over the overall number one spot. But Baylor has such a strong resume, it's going to be tough for that to to be the case. And if it is, who cares? They're both. They're not going to move any of their their region or their pod. They're still going to be where they are. Because of what we have with San Diego State and Gonzaga, two teams on the West Coast still vying to be able to play close to home, not just in the opening rounds, but then when we get to the regional semifinals and finals, the Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight. Because of that, San Diego State can they afford a loss, or do they have to be perfect to get that top seed over Gonzaga in the West? I think their last game of the year is the one they could afford to lose the last regular season game. It is at Nevada. Okay. And that's, that, that, that was, they were a good team last two years. They've mm-hmm. lost a lot of players. They lost their coach. coach but they're yeah. still, uh, in the metrics there, they're looking pretty good. So they're not, you know, no hope for an at large or anything like that. But it's a road game also. So it would at worst be a quad two. It could end up being a quad one loss. If they lose only that one, then I think that they will stay on the one line. But for them, I mean, it, I hate to say this, but it might help to lose a couple, and then you're the two seed out west, mm. and you get to stay home. Yeah. It, that's an interesting yeah. uh, interesting take. Uh, I want to get your opinion on this, Shelby, and I've wanted to do so since about uh, nine. 
thirty on Saturday night when Loyola picked off the Panthers in <laughs> overtime uh, at the Gentile. Uh, we thought that you know there might be a little wiggle room for Northern Iowa if they you know if they lose one game and they get to the final of the Missouri Valley Conference tournament, then maybe. I assume that the wiggle room is gone. Is there still an at-large possibility for the Panthers, assuming that under my scenario they get to the championship game without losing a game between now and then? I think so. I did not move them off the 10 line. They have moved down the 10 line. They moved four spots. But I think they're still absolutely in the conversation uh, for an at-large. And uh, of the games remaining, that was a good one to lose because Loyola is not that bad of a team. They've got a 17-9 and record. The metrics like them. They're top 100 in the net, which isn't horrible. Uh, the next game at Indiana State. That might be your next and only chance to have one more loss if you're going to have one and still be in the conversation because Indiana State, their record isn't nice at 13-11, and 11, but they're, they're ranked 109 in the net, so that would be a quad two loss. After that, you've got uh, a bunch of quad three and four teams, so don't, don't lose those games. Get to the finals, and I think you might, just because other teams, other bubble teams from Power Five conferences aren't really helping themselves too terribly much. North Carolina State losing to Boston College the other day, almost knocked them out. Uh, Indiana and Purdue are doing what they can to play their way out. So by process of elimination, I think that's going to help Northern Ireland. You know, Shelby, it seems like it's a conversation that happens seemingly every single year. Oh, this is the worst bubble in history. Look how bad this bubble is in comparison for the number of years that you've been doing this, how does this bab- bubble stack up in the middle of February? I think it's right where it has been. Is There's a lot of sinker teams we're trying to choose from to, to fill out the 68 teams. Uh, I would love it so much if they went back to 64. I don't know if that would make things easier, but it would eliminate some riffraff, so to speak. You're going to have a couple of teams that get in, uh, kind of like past few years, that you look at them and say, why is that team in? They don't deserve it. You dig a little deeper and, eh, okay, I guess you can make a case for them. Uh, and we need to eliminate that, I think. Get it back to 64. It, it works better on paper, on the bracket. It looks prettier instead of having these outlier games. Um, I, I don't think they'll do that. But it's, it's, it is what it is. You're, you're, you're kind of watering down a tournament, and you got to get 68. So we're going to fill it up. A two-part question for you. You go back to Sunday's game, Iowa on the road, up in the barn, taking on the Gophers. Iowa would, would win the basketball game. You have them as their high, as your highest six, if you want. So they're teetering between the five and the six. So so can uh, what does Iowa need to do to get back to the five? And what did Minnesota losing that game do to their postseason or their NCAA hopes? That, uh, that hurt them even more than they were already hurt. Minnesota's now a 500 team. So they have to pretty much win out uh, to be a, a legitimate bubble, you know, bubble discussion team. I don't think they will do that. I think they are pretty much done, but they have, you know, they've done enough nice things to where you got to keep them in the conversation. Uh, Iowa, with their remaining schedule, they've got uh, Ohio State at home, at Michigan State, home versus Penn State, Purdue. I think you win those three home games, and pick up one of the road wins, Illinois or Michigan State, that might be enough to get you back on the five line. Or you can just win games and hope the teams that are right above you fall search the teams they mm-hmm. shouldn't, and then that'll you know, you'll back your way in, so to speak. Is Iowa a lock, saying if the, even if they would lose out the rest of the way 
and lose in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, are they still, have they built enough of a resume? I know it's in a vacuum and, not, you know, the, the things can change in terms of the bracket, but would you believe that a team lipping in like that, like the Hawkeyes, would still be in? I think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got six games left you can lose that puts you at 18 and 14. And with your, 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 the teams you've beat so far, I think that's enough to get you in. Uh, would I bet my wife on it? Probably not, but maybe one of my kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Shelby Masters, I guess. Shelby, a couple of teams that have really caught my eye. And, you know, under your scenario, boy, it sure looks as though it's going to be tough to knock uh, the ones where they sit off uh, off of that one line. But Duke's playing exceptionally well right now. Just when you seem to maybe thinking that it's not going to be Duke's year, Shashevsky gets this team on a roll, and they clearly are. And so is Maryland. Don't look now, but this Terps team... Um, I think they're the best team in the Big Ten. They're on a terrific roll along with Penn State right now. But Duke and Maryland looks as though they're almost locked at the two despite how well they're, well they're playing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, San Diego and Gonzaga, they've still got opportunities to falter, and one of those two teams would be the ones that move up for me. Uh, and I think I have Duke as my top two seed. I think Maryland would be the one that would move up if they continue doing what they're doing just because they have more opportunities coming down the stretch. The ACC is very down this year Mm -hmm. by their standards, and so the opportunity for big wins isn't going to be there for Duke like it is for Maryland. If they rack up three more, four more quad one wins, it's going to be tough to keep them off of the one line, maybe even if San Diego State doesn't lose, because they would have racked up such an impressive uh, resume with their wins that, yeah, that's going to be a tough decision for the committee. I think they'd lean towards San Diego State because that's where they had them. San Diego State stays undefeated, then I think they stay there. You know, I, I was just looking ahead a little bit at some potential matchups that we get in the round of 32 because seemingly everything is so compressed in those four through 11, 12 seed lines. Look at those second round matchups, the way you have it set up. West Virginia, Marquette, Oregon, Penn State, Butler against Kentucky. Local. Uh, how about Creighton, Michigan State? Mm-hmm. Iowa gets Villanova another shot against them. How about you and I getting Duke and Greensboro? Just these round of 32 matchups because of this season, I think this tournament has a chance to be incredibly special and, and maybe even one of the crazier ones that we've seen. Yeah, I think so. And one I said last week, and I don't remember where I said it, I, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, they always add up when you get to the final four, they add up the seeds. You know, a one, a two, a three, a four, that adds yeah. up to 10. So you got your number at 10. It wouldn't surprise me if that number is above 20 this year mm. because the, the top teams, to me, don't appear to be dominant like we've had in previous years. I think they're pretty much set on the one line, but, uh, and that's possibly because when you get past it, it's, there's nothing that stands out as that's the team to beat. There's not one of those out there this year. Baylor has played fantastic, and they deserve to be number one right now, but I still am not – to where I trust them, that I would put money on them to win the whole tournament. You and I looks completely alike when it comes to the Baylor Bears. So let me ask you about this since I'm on a roll as far as agreeing with Shelby Mast. Uh, we're both seeing seeing the same way. This is the last thing for you, Shelby. You don't want to run out of time. I don't think I've seen the Dayton Flyers play this year, and shame on me for that. Um, what am I missing? Can this team win it all? Can Dayton legitimately win it all? Colorado and Kansas are the two schools that have beaten them this year. Beat them in overtime on neutral courts. Mm. So but Dayton is a very good team. They might be the best team that I have seen all year. Really? It just just really kind of blew me away. And that was back in November when they played 
think it was in Maui at that tournament. Uh, that's when they lost to Kansas, I believe, in overtime. Uh-huh. They they are legit. They're a really good team, and everybody talks about Obi Toppin, and he is fantastic. But this team has other players, and they've got a decent enough bench. Uh, I think they're playing with enough confidence that they can do it. The fact that the committee put them on the two-line instead of the three-line, I think that will help build their confidence. But if I had to pick one team to win it all right now, gun is at my head. I'm picking Dayton. Interesting. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Shelby, great stuff. Bracketwag.com. Go to the website. He updates it. Well, today you got it done by 5 a.m. You slept in a little on us here, Shelby. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm slacking. <laughs> 5 a.m. every day. Uh, new bracket for you each and every morning. Bracketwag.com. Talk to you in seven days, Shelby. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Shelby Mast. Uh, Gannett's bracketologist as he joins us each and every Tuesday. All right, Miller and Condon take you until noon, about 15 minutes or so. We'll get Zubin Mahente in here. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, and now on 106.3 FM.